Puff Puff Pass and have a seat with that ass. It's Reads and Weeds. Hey, yes, this is Shelly, and this is Reads and Weeds, and we smoke weed and read books, and this is such a special occasion. I am at Lynx Run Wilderness Retreat in Big Rapids, Michigan. First came here back in August and met Rob Vanderzee. Say hi, Rob. Hello. <laughs> and I was up here with Mike O'File. Say hi, Mike. Hi, Mike. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we met, and they went running out into the woods to find mushrooms, and we all talked about mushrooms all weekend, and they said, you have to read Mycophilia. And my immediate desire was to go get the book, read it, and come right back. <laughs> but there was a cannabis harvest in there, and uh, the winter started, and it was all kinds of things going on. So, But now I'm back. It's 2021. It's January 2nd, mm-hmm. right? And uh, it's wonderful to be here. We're in the middle of the woods, and we have actually been talking about mushrooms all day long. <laughs> but from the moment you walked in. From the, the moment I walked in. And then we were listening to the book. So the book that we're talking about today is Mycophilia by Eugenia Bone. And um, it was recommended to me by Mycophile. And I have listened to it probably a time and a half on audiobook. And it is her, Eugenia's story of how she just was obsessed with eating mushrooms so she wanted to find mushrooms so she became slowly obsessed and became a mycophile (laughs) basically and so um we're gonna today kind of walk through oh my gosh we could talk about mushrooms for hours but first let me tell you that I have assembled the perfect group of people to do this with so Mike I've already talked about you, but uh, so Mike, if you are any kind of mushroom person, if you're on Instagram, you might know Mycophile. Mike was also on the um, director of communications for the Decriminalized Nature and Arbor initiative that just happened and passed. Unanimously. De- unanimously. <laughs> and uh, yay. Mm-hmm. And is a lifelong forager and also, yeah, tell me a couple other just a, a teeny bit about your mycology obsession. Oh, Lord. Um, well, I've been hunting for uh, well over 20 years now. I've uh, been growing mushrooms for nearly 20 years and heavily involved in the community. A few years ago, I was able to start a mycology club at the Ferris State. And since then... Uh, And reading this book originally nine years ago, I took on the name Mike O'File instead of my given name because, again, we're reading Mike Ophelia, Mm -hmm. and I realized it was talking about me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then uh, the other person we have here is Rob Vanderzee, and the reason why he's the perfect person to be here is, one, we're in this wonderful setting, (laughs) and I've been wanting to come back here and sit in this library and just surrounded by books, and it's just this dreamy, (laughs) wonderful setting if you're a book lover, and if you're a mushroom lover, we're in this forest where, as we were pulling up last time I was here, um, Mike was saying, oh, I've I've hunted these woods. I've snuck around back here. And as soon as we got here, as soon as we pulled up to the property, there's work to do. We need to unpack. But of course, Mike jumps out of the car, meets Rob. It's his property. He's showing us around. 
they start talking about mushrooms and they run off into the woods to start hunting. <laughs> and we we realized that we had previously met. Oh yes. Yes, at Ferris State I had gone to his mycology uh, club organization at, at Ferris State just once and we had met briefly at that time. So I recognized him and uh, yeah, we ran off into the woods, started looking for things. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, and you're a forager too. I mean, you're obviously, you've been talking about obset- being obsessed with eating mushrooms all day. Yes. Yeah. And so you're, and, and you maybe want to have a little mycophile conference here this summer. Like, I feel like you're on the edge getting ready to like pour over into oh, full absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, I love the foraging aspect of it. I enjoy it. And since I have bought this property, I have, you know, I mean, I grew up eating morels and my parents always made a big thing about it every spring to go out and pick as a family and find. And it was always fun and adventurous. Yeah. Uh, but that's where they stopped. As most people from the Midwest or Michigan do, they're, they're afraid to try anything else. So after I bought this property, I just realized I was like in mushroom heaven here. Yeah. They grow everywhere out here. But I didn't know the types, and so I started just teaching myself and meeting people who knew the different types. And every year since I've bought this property, I've added at least one new species to my list of edible mushrooms that I find out here in the forest. Nice. And that's wow. been wonderful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And finally, we have Paul Gordon. Hi. Hi, Paul. Hello. Paul just did Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy with me. That was good fun. It was fun. And also, he works at a, the Detroit Mushroom Company, and so he comes to this from a completely different, like, growing commercial mushrooms in a controlled setting. So... Um, he is the perfect person to be here because that's a whole nother world. Like we've been talking about foraging and finding and all that, but you're understanding the science of like growing mushrooms. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm kind of a, a mycophile, uh, as just a state of my occupation to be candid. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I wasn't a huge mushroom eater as a young person. I didn't understand anything about them other than they were fungus. Like, you know, I enjoyed those, uh, gray buttons in the little cans on my pizzas sure, here and there, sure, sure. you know, but beyond very that, base, very, base. very base, very base. Yeah. I'm a basic bitch. I was a basic mushroom bitch most of my life, you know, that's who we are. Uh, so, uh, it, you know, just, I happen to be very good friends with one of the owners of Detroit mushroom company, Brian McShane, who's known pretty well throughout the mushroom community in Michigan. Uh, and it got to the point where (laughs) Brian is frankly an insane person. And that is probably Mm -hmm. why he is my fake son. Yeah. yeah. And I've adopted (laughs) him as such. And we, Uh, just for the record, we've tried to get Brian to come. We really wanted it, but he's. Brian's too busy being a mushroom farmer to come talk about mushrooms. Yeah, that's really what that is. He's that combination (laughs) of like hardworking farmer type person and super startup mode type person. Yeah, so it's absolutely. 24-7. So going away to talk about mushrooms, <laughs> yeah. like, what? No. So, so <laughs> as as now kind of his adopted son as well mm-hmm. on the farm, from that perspective, I'm, I'm learning from absolutely basically ground zero mm-hmm. about how mycelium works and, you know, what it is that we do and why throughout the process and the steps of creating what is essentially... Uh, a, a fake rainforest wow. mm-hmm. that you know for a lot of mushrooms ends up being the ideal conditions to grow and you know learning how to uh 
to, I mean, if you're, you know, you work in a commercial farm, it's because you're selling things, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're selling mushrooms. So what do you have to have? You have to have mushrooms if, mm-hmm. you, if you're selling them. So there are ways uh, in, in those circumstances when you've got the environment under such control to boom, tomorrow we got mushrooms. Yeah. Oh, we got way too many mushrooms. Boom, slow it down. So wow. it's 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 fun for me in a lot of ways in that I just like to learn stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, mushrooms in general are just so much more incredible mm-hmm. as an entity on earth that I, that I even had any inkling of. And then to just to be able to be a part of the science of it and then seeing what I do is the very basic stuff. I'm the infantryman on the farm. I mix up the substrate. Which is the stuff we grow the mushrooms in? Bags it's of a dirt. lot of work. It's a Bags lot of, of work, man. I am, listen, I I look much better now, uh, physically than I did two years ago. I can tell you that for sure. I I basically get paid to work out every day. Yeah. Uh, but then to be able to go into the grow room and just see these amazing flamingo oysters and these beautiful golden oysters that yeah. you just you can't you can't find them they, yeah you, you know you can buy the home grow kits or it whatever it looks like but the coral reef when you look yeah, in there it looks like, like you you're look into one of our boxes this reef. sounds like a fascinating exactly. job i'm it's a little beautiful. jealous <laughs> it's yeah, beautiful. that's exactly it shelly you look into one of our boxes yeah. to, that we'll send off to one of our gourmet chefs uh we have a large clientele of those beautiful. uh and it looks like you're like a little coral reef or like wow. some sort of mushroom rainbow there so yeah, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have gotten in on the ground floor of an operation with people I care about and who really care about mushrooms. And Brian, I don't know anybody who wants to make the best mushroom on earth more than Brian McShane. So it's yeah. pretty fun to be able to work around that. You know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So if you're listening to this and you're already a mycophile and that's why you're listening, then you're with us. You get it. There's mushrooms everywhere. They rule the world. You eat them. They heal you. You're wondering where they are. You want to meet us, all of that. But there's some people who are like, why should I care about mushrooms? And so the reason to read anything, in my opinion, is it makes the whole world more fun, you know, just to have the knowledge. As soon as you understand really the, the, the amazingness of this brooding body of a fungus and how it operates all over the world and how it can kind of never die. And it's, it's 100% fascinating. And then you start to, so throughout this book, Eugenia Bone is talking about her, basically her path of educating herself and becoming a better forager and going to all these conferences and meeting other experts and, and, and doing all that stuff. Because once people realize how fascinating they are, they become kind of obsessed. And I don't know any, like, casual mushroom people. (laughs) People who are just kind of into mushrooms. (laughs) They've either never thought about them, or they've got a library, they've got a kit in the closet, (laughs) they're over the top. So, uh, So I'm curious. I want you to basically give your overview of the book, uh, Mike, and, and also... If you can tell me, like, why do foragers get fascinated? Like, why do you go hunt for mushrooms once? Because she talks about this. But why for you? Uh, I, I believe she touched on it a bit in the book. But uh, for me, I, I think David Aurora and Mushrooms Demystified really summed it up. Uh, if you look at Russia, European cultures, Asian cultures... 
There's always been a long-standing relationship with mushrooms. However, in the West, we have developed a culture of mycophobia. Um, it, Aurora calls it fungophobia. And if you read anything that's come out of the past you know, couple hundred years of our country, uh, people describe mushrooms as like this eerie, dark swamp in their poetry. Like there's always this dark imagery with it. And we've been trained that mushrooms are this gross thing that grow in dank places. Whereas uh, we've also, the only mushroom we really sell commercially is the plain white tasteless button mushroom. Uh, which, again, she'll talk about in her foodie right, section. Right. Uh, but in other cultures, it's a way of life, and it's part of your diet. And there's a lot more varieties out there, and it's an important part of your diet. There's a lot of flavors. Um, so I think that's why once people finally step away from that mycophobia, mm -hmm. they immediately become a mycophile because once you realize it's more than just white button mushrooms that taste this little slimy thing on mm -hmm. your pizza that came out of a can that was packaged yeah. five years ago, you now realize there's mushrooms that taste like candy cap. Uh, the candy yes, cap yeah, tastes like yeah, maple yeah. syrup. You got uh, mushrooms that taste like chicken, mushrooms with a peppery taste, and there's all these different flavors that come out. But then there's also outside of the food spectrum, which, you know, Rob and uh, the author here, Eugenia Bone, both come to it from. There's also the potential for micro-remediation, uh, you know, healing the earth and dealing with plastic and oil and that sort of thing with mushrooms. Mushrooms for medicinal benefits. Uh, mushrooms as a potential superfood and protein replacement for vegans and source of D vitamins and other things. Uh, the book itself, I think, is really interesting. Eugenia Bone is historically before this book, she's a food critic and food writer oh, um, in New York. I didn't. Know so that. she she's a hardcore <laughs> foodie to begin with, and oh. coming into this book. She'd always liked mushrooms, but one, you know, in New York, it's really hard to find a good selection of mushrooms. And if you do find a good selection, you're going to pay too much. And this is her adventure of how do we uh, make these more widely available for myself? And then she realizes it's a whole community. And once you tap into that community, you will not go back. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Because it's one, I think it's being around really, really enthusiastic people. The last time we hung out was at that Bufo retreat at Julie's. And there was all these like microfiles there. And I walked into the room and everybody was saying, well, are you growing them in your glove box? Yeah, I'm using the glove box. And they're talking about how to grow mushrooms do you use it do you use the glove box or not use the glove box and I'm hearing them they're talking about so much like technology slash science that I'm tuning in and out and it wasn't until about a week later that I told Julie that I thought people were growing mushrooms like in the glove in compartment in <laughs> that's great she showed me she's like no 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 it's a box with like gloves in it you put your hands in the gloves so that you can and I'm like 
Oh my God. I thought you were growing mushrooms in the glove compartment of your car. I've had a couple of cars where you probably could have you grown could. some mushrooms in the glove box. There's yeah. Plenty, there's probably people doing it with, without even trying. Speaking of growing yeah. mushrooms in weird places, one of the first places I ever grew bulk mushrooms was underneath the booth of a restaurant I was working in. I took out the seats and I stored my tubs underneath it, and they lived there, but I managed the restaurant so i oh had the my key God. oh my uh, the God. owner that has is, no idea that Still. sure is <laughs> brazen that is brazen That's sir fantastic. that is brazen <laughs> but mushrooms also like to grow just about anywhere in all the odd places right so. oh they will They'll, yeah I mean, it's amazing the uh we'll clean out our grow room you know obviously we clean at least one we'll take one wall down a week essentially uh, replace it with new bags. And of course, the, the wall is completely scrubbed and bleached and sterilized and all that kind of stuff in the process. But like, uh, it's wood beams and they're right up against the wall, but that doesn't matter because they'll they figure out a way to go sneak out of the back of the bag that uh, to grow it in and then just grow right between the two by four and the wall. And then there's just like these two big like lumps of lion's manes just stuck to the, to the two by four. <laughs> I've found oyster mushrooms in people's bathrooms on more than one occasion. That's just crazy. Just growing out of wow. the floorboards. What? <laughs> really resilient. Wow. Water damage basements. And are you like, that looks delicious? Or are you like, gross, <laughs> gross? If it was the rec room, any other room other than the bathroom, I'd probably right. be down. But the humidity is really high anywhere. Ooh. People are taking showers. Yep. And it Goodness creates a prime gracious. environment. Yeah, wow. that's... That's Goodness exactly right. Gracious. So you couldn't grow better mushrooms than in that environment, actually. <laughs> so what what I think is great about this book for me being not like I, I have never been on a mushroom hunt. Although this some this maybe it was July, I was in Indiana and um just walking around my friend's property and suddenly started seeing them everywhere. And it reminded me of the part in the book where they t- kind of like there's a belief, and Mike is on this belief, that if you're going out to forage, you don't announce it and disrupt the morels. They will hear you, and they will hide. They I don't know hide. how they do it. If they go back <laughs> into the ground, hide behind that trillium patch, or uh, just sneak behind the next poplar. But uh, <laughs> if you announce it, you aren't going to find them near as prolifically yeah. as you would if you just sneak up on them. Yeah, and when it, so so the her path is she is suddenly I want to go find I want to go find mushrooms so I don't have to buy them. So she joins the New York Mycological it's called NIMS, New York Mycological Society NYMS, I think. So she joins MEMS, she starts going to lectures, but really she's like I just want to go on the morel hunt. That's what I want to do. She doesn't get any the first time, um but someone at one of these of forays tells her to not be so like actively hunting like darting from place to place but to just kind of stand and take everything in and it's almost like they start showing up and then as soon as you start seeing them they're everywhere right then you just see them everywhere and i wanted to ask you two if if you get that experience oh absolutely and i want to go back and talk about you know when you're talking about sneaking up on the mushrooms and stuff like that it's funny to hear that now because, you know, I grew up in a family that loved to forage for morels, only morels. And my dad always talked about sneaking up on them, but it was a big joke to him. But I think there's this kind of common lore, this kind of, you know, 
mythology that goes along with mushroom hunting that taps into our very primitive mind or our very primitive you know ancestry and that's one of the most beautiful things about mycology i think at least for me is the hunt it's it's getting out into the woods and tapping into that kind of ancient part of our beings that that's that's what we used to do for Mm -hmm. you know tens hundreds of thousands of years as we were evolving as a human species we were in that forest and we were learning which mushrooms were edible and which ones were poisonous and stuff and that has not been forgotten our brains still i think carry that information you just have to tap back into it and as soon as i get out in the woods and i'm looking for mushrooms I mean, I love to eat them, but to be quite honest, the best part of it is finding them, doing the hunt. And it really triggers. That's what a lot of people who live in the cities and, you know, you can talk to them about hunting mushrooms. They don't get it because they've not experienced it yet, but it's in our DNA. It really is. It's literally both hunting and gathering. Yes. So all in one, all in one. Yeah. Yeah. It's nothing more primordial in the soup (laughs) of our existence than hunting and gathering. Absolutely. So, uh, Paul Stamets actually calls that the mushroom squat. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you see, you see two types of foragers. You see the people that just are rushing like Eugene bone did initially. And she talks about the mushroom squat in here. Uh, but where they're running, tree to tree because that's an elm that's a dead elm or that's a young live ash or whatever type of tree you're after for whatever species you're after Mm -hmm. and they think because they understand the habitat they can just run spot to spot really fast and paul stamet says uh you know a true mushroom hunter because of the mushroom squat and generally once they get into the woods they don't have to go that far because all they do is stop and they're everywhere. And uh, <laughs> what I found is some of my most frustrating hunts that I've had, where I was running from dead elm to dead elm, I'd get tired. And I'd stop, sit down on a log, spark a joint. And while I'm sitting there puffing, I'd realize there's one right between my feet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Over there, two yeah. feet. Yeah. And there's one five feet. The yeah. second I stopped in the woods, and got low to the ground and stopped rushing from habitat to habitat, they're everywhere. And uh, I think that's really, uh, you know, same thing as sneaking up on the mushroom. Uh, If you just stop, quit running around looking for the mushroom, just Mm -hmm. stop, the mushroom's there. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I think her quote was, the thrill of finding a pat, a patch of mushrooms never dims. Like if you're a mycophile, you never get tired of the feeling of like, oh, I found some, you know, it's yeah. always super fun to find a patch of, um, so again, if you're that person who you, maybe you have mushrooms on pizza, maybe you've seen it in sauce, but you have really no other mushroom experience. Maybe you've tried only psychedelic mushrooms, which you've never really, uh, I learned so much in here that I had no idea about. I thought I'd, I I don't know. I thought I knew more than I did. Like, Mm. I didn't know you couldn't eat morels raw. No. I didn't know that. that You can't eat morels raw. Cannot eat morels raw. You cannot eat morels raw. Most mushrooms raw, which seems counterintuitive because, again, the white button mushroom is our standard in Uh, the West, and Mm. that you can. 
So why can't you? I, I didn't. I never heard that. So that's. Oh, they're poisonous until they're cooked. A lot of mushrooms oh. are poisonous until they're cooked because of the structure of the. That's good I to think know. There's, yeah. a, there's several. Isn't it? Reasons. <laughs> yeah, it's very good to know. I did not know that. Oh yeah. It, it really depends on the mushroom. Yep. Uh, some of it, it's a more of a molecular structure and its ability to be metabolized. Whereas, yeah. uh, Some, you know, I'd never. Me and Rob actually had this discussion earlier about eating the false morel gyrometra or beef steak, which lots of people do, and it is extraordinarily dangerous. But people that do swear by it, and they always cook in preparation because the cooking, the parboil that occurs, is supposed to boil off the active ibotenic acid, which is a neurotoxin that can, you know. Those aren't good for you, right? Not good for you. Neurotoxins no, are neurotoxins. bad. Neurotoxins. <laughs> what? Neurotoxins are bad, right? <laughs> what day is it again? Why the, Why are people obsessed with morels? Because she's obsessed with morels. It f- pushes forward her... Flavor, I would say, number one is... They are one it, of the most delectable and easy to identify. Easy to identify. Um, I think that's another big yeah, one. Uh, I would agree with that. If for you sure. see a morel, and sure, we have these things called false morels, mm-hmm. but not many of the false morels actually look like a true morel. Uh, what is oh, it? How can you identify? Can you describe it? Like what to look for? So a morel generally grows, uh, you know, a couple, three, four inches. Some of the Blondes tend to get upwards of seven to eleven, maybe even bigger inches. But uh, tall or around tall. the cap? Oh, okay, tall. Uh, tall, but okay. uh, they're always hollow. There is never anything inside the stem. That's the number one identifier from the false morels. Mm-hmm. But after the stipe comes up, the stipe being the stem, uh, the cap is made up of these really unique pits that almost looks something like a brain, but I would say most of the false morels look more brainy mm-hmm. than oh. the False morels well. look more brainy? More brainy, okay. yeah. yeah. Instead of pits, actually wrinkles yeah. on the false Yeah, and they, don't, oh, have, yeah. they don't have any gills. They, none of them have gills. Which is pretty unusual. I mean... And, um, well, mushrooms come in all shapes, well, they certainly. Do. Yes, um, I mean, true. you have your polypores, which mm-hmm. are not gilled. They're pore-based. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have your puffballs, which your the spores grow inside. Yep. Um, so, I, but the, I, I think the thing with uh, morels is also a cultural thing. Yes. And they, they are so prolific. It's generally handed down... You know, right around Easter. Right around it, Easter. It's the Easter egg hunt. It's yeah. the original. And it's, right. <laughs> and the original. Really? And it's it very is. time specific. Yeah. Like like when you go out into the woods in the in, in the springtime of the year, uh-huh. it's usually towards the in middle to end of April, would we say? Sure. Here in Michigan. It's the anyway. first like warm weekend you get. Maybe there's another cold snap, yeah. but like late April, early May, you can wander out in the woods. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, once you've seen one morel. Like, you never forget what that morel looks like. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's very oh. different than most of the other mushroom species. It's certainly here in the Midwest. So it's easy, easy to identify. And it's very time-specific. It's usually a two-to-three-week two, two window in the spring, would you say? 
I'd say four to five, okay, but I, it's it's more a a species variation. Like each one tends to exist in a two to three week window. Those they overlap, but if you're hunting one type, your season's going to be three weeks, and unless you know where the next type is, you're not going to connect the full season like that. That's true. Um, hmm. But one of the, I guess the final thing I would say about morels being popular, we've been uh cooped up all winter it is the first real warmth the green is just starting to pop just starting to pop mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. leaves on an oak are the size of a squirrel's ear and you hear that from mushroom hunters everywhere <laughs> and people want to get out of their house they want to get out and the excuse. overgrowth hasn't taken over the forest yet so you're already outside. There's no overgrowth to hide the mushrooms. They're everywhere. They're popping up. You see them. Whereas you get into summer or fall hunting, you're competing with patches of briars and nettles and all sorts of things oh, that are completely different. <laughs> so there's, a, you know, it's very multifaceted. You, what's you've going literally got to get to the floor before you're able to discern, except for the stuff that's out like on a big log somewhere. Certainly. Like, uh, right. you, by the time the late summer comes around, it's they're underneath things. So you're, you're so, not going to be able to just be. You got to. I would imagine you've got to wade through a lot of things. Right. Yeah. She talks about. So I want to hear about because I think there's the I'm going to go find my little hunting spots and go by myself mm. that happens. But there is also these little f- tours that get led, which she mm. goes on a bunch of them in the book by going to the conferences. So. Do y'all do both? Do you go wander through the woods just by yourself? Or is it like a let's get a group of friends together to go? I tend to go by myself for the most part. But if it's, a, if it's people that I know and trust, uh, I will take people you know, out once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I can be fairly protective. I mean, especially with things like morels mm-hmm. and chanterelles and stuff like that. If you're telling people where those are at, you might never see those mushrooms in that spot again because people will go and they, you know, so you got it. You do. I mean, I'm all about sharing and mm-hmm. I love to, to teach other people about, uh, you know, mushrooming uh, as I'm sure Mike does as well. But at the same time, like if you find a specific area that has a specific type of mushroom, that's your favorite. It's up to you, but you might want to keep that a little secret. I think you're going to find most mushroom hunters, uh tend to be that way Mm -hmm. they're very protective of their favorite spots they're very protective even when they go out in groups at these forays and you see eugenia bone struggle as she's going through her development as a mycophile you see her struggle with but i found these mushrooms or i want to find a matsutake so i have a matsutake and it's, it's not necessarily a selfish thing it's just I, the mushroom craves cr- being craved and once you <laughs> once yeah. you have that craving <laughs> you gotta have it yeah you gotta have it and yeah. you can't you can't give up the spot in the off chance that next year that friend yep. has become that same type of microphone beat you to it yeah um or uh, worse yet 
the stranger at the gas station, oh, you know, I've been hunting for morels all season. We can't find any. It's a horrible year. What are you talking about? I found tip. Where are you finding them? No, I ain't telling you where I'm at. Can you tell your friend? Yeah. Mushroom hunters are, by their nature, very protective of their spots. Y'all protect them honey holes, don't you? <laughs> honey holes. I, you know, I, I generally say yes. I've been trying to break that Malou because for me, a few years ago, living in the city. Did you just word Malou? Did you just use the word Malou? I did. What is that? M-I-L-E-A-U? What is yes. that word? Oh, okay, okay. It's on, there's a fried chicken place you know, in Italy. You know, his milieu. Called Malou's. And I sort of heard Malou's, and I was suddenly just Oh, yeah, and if anybody who's been right. to Ipsy knows Malou that that is very sounds like, right, sure. you're like, somebody's talking about fried chicken all I, of a sudden. Fried chicken? I just got very distracted. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we just ate that's nine times one fried chicken because you were smoking weed. No, yeah, it was just like, uh, okay, okay, but I, okay. I see what you're saying. Go ahead. Uh, so, <laughs> Carry on, please. So for me, in, in the situation of being in the city with no vehicle at the time, I decided to take up urban foraging. Mm. I'm a firm believer morels grow everywhere. Most mushrooms grow pretty much everywhere. And everybody's like, oh, go look by dead elms. Go look by this. Go look in that rock pile. Go look by that stump. Go look in that trash pile. You're going to find good mushrooms because mushrooms are decomposers. The things that look not all that appeasing to us are probably dead things, which means mushrooms are growing over there. Mm -hmm. And so um, I became really interested in urban foraging. While I was doing that, I was quite successful. I started finding just as many mushrooms within the city of Grand Rapids or even the city of Chicago as I was finding out in the woods in a day because I became able to identify those spots from a road. One of my favorite spots is cemeteries or hills that you can't grow or put houses on so you got houses at the top and houses at the bottom. I'll just run the strip of woods on the hill between them. They're all over in cities everywhere. Ooh, and you just got to wow. look for these little patches of woods. Once I came to that realization, I personally became a lot less protective of my spots. And since then, I take joy in taking people to some of the most prolific spots I've ever hunted because there is no joy bigger than a successful mushroom hunt. And if I can take people out to a place that I know is just going to be overrun with whatever mushroom we're after, Mm -hmm. I know they're gonna leave with a big smile on their face and they're gonna go back into the woods and they're gonna continue their journey down mycophilia. I'm so proud of you because I am not there yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, one of the things- Get out of here! Get out of here! Well, she, she she talks about how her one of her first conferences. You've, there's room to grow. Okay, there's room there's to room. grow. Right. I feel I feel grow. the need to grow right now. <laughs> so what, on one of her first conferences, she was kind of like protecting her little thing of mushrooms, and she didn't want anybody to ask her to share because she had a pretty big haul. And by the end of the day, people had like put mushrooms all over the table, and she realizes like, oh. Like everybody's here. It's kind of like, it's abundant. She, you, you know, everybody's there to be super into it. And she realizes they're gonna, sh- sharing will happen 
you know, if you're a mycophile, but she, that's an interesting thing where she realizes, oh, nobody's really hoarding. Unless you get into that commercial chapter Mm. about how the commercial pickers interact with the locals. (laughs) I, I've never thing? been on the professional circuit like she describes. Mm-hmm. I've had a couple friends that actually work for professional foraging companies and do that and travel and follow the mushrooms. And their stories of camp are actually a little bit more sketchy than some of hers. Uh, wow, you know, yeah. She's talking about this camp, you don't screw with them because they've got guns. And, you know, you yeah. don't screw yeah, with them say, because... it's a pretty sketchy yeah, shit. Yeah, and yeah, I, yeah. You know, it turns out... That there's a lot of truth to that. Um, so I, I think uh, what I found about sharing my mushrooms, though, is while I love to cook and I love mushrooms, I'm not the best at either of those things. And the more I share my mushrooms with other mycophiles, well, I also, they're more willing to share their information about those mushrooms with you. And so I become better at that and I grow. Mm-hmm. But the flavors, the food, mm. other mycophiles have taught me things about pulling. I always, uh, we were talking earlier tonight about the portobellos and white button mushrooms, both the Agaricus bisporus species. Agaricus um, bisporus. Yes. Did I do it? <laughs> yeah, you did. Um, Pulled it right off. And that's that bland, flavorless mushroom that we so champion in the U.S. Uh, so much. Wait a so- minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you saying Americans <laughs> like bland food? Yeah. Um, I've actually, never heard this. This is it's actually <laughs> I take I can actually find white this in bread here. and put like mayonnaise white mushrooms on, it. on your white <laughs> like, bread with your white safe. mayo. It's just you know, they safe. feel safe yeah. with it, you know, because I guess so. you know, a person you know, they they hear one time that oh mushroom you could die from eating mushrooms. Right. Which is very true. And right, it scares right. them away from all I mean there's literally hundreds of species of mushrooms you know in our country that that are edible but you know they hear one time that oh that you know there's i heard that somebody made a mistake and died from eating you know such and such a mushroom yeah they're terrified of eating mushrooms yeah but people die choking on gummy worms and shit i would also say uh, you know what i mean it's like not all gummy worms are so Hey, stop spying on me when I'm snacking. <laughs> Over 90% of all mushroom-related fatalities in North America are the result of two species of mushrooms. Just two species of mushrooms. Oh, 90% of all mushroom-related fatalities. So let's just put that myth to rest right away. And do we know which two those are? Yes, that would be uh, the Destroying Angel and the Death Cap. Uh, those have pretty obvious Amanita names, too. Amanita <laughs> Amanita Thaliotis. Amanita, they? avoid both of those. <laughs> yes. um, you did it again. I, you know, uh, the Destroying Angels, extraordinarily identifiable. It's an entirely white mushroom, white veil, white uh, spores, white gills, white cap, white vulva around the base. So identifiable by its whiteness that you, you couldn't mistake it. But... Uh, the death cap uh, has been particularly challenging in Southern California and that region because of uh, Asian immigrants that are used to eating the Thai patty straw mushroom, which looks vaguely familiar. Mm. And so that's why that's a big problem. Mm. Within the other 
there are some cases with uh, the gyrometra that we mentioned, the false morale. Mm -hmm. um, there's a few others, but for the most part, uh, anybody that's like, oh, I heard about somebody misidentified that, that's a one in a billion chance. You have got a better chance of winning the lottery probably. Wow. Um, but yeah. to put into perspective how much America loves Dwight Button Mushrooms, her opening to chapter seven, she points out in 2008, the total volume of mushroom sales in the U.S., 817 million pounds, with white butt mushrooms counting, accounting for 802 million of those pounds. Oh, so whoa. only 15 million pounds of, I, I, I know, only 15 million, but comparatively. Still, I mean, we're talking about almost 400 million pounds overall, so yeah, I mean, 15 million is a tiny right. Yeah, it's a... It's well, I think not it even gets, significant. It's right. so, it's baffling to me. How did that become the mushroom? Is it because that one big mushroom farmer who um, pushed things out commercially? Because I guess where's it? It's going in tomato sauces. It's going in the little packages in the in the you know salad soup, area, cream of, of mushroom it. soup. I guess it's all of that. So, yeah, it's so flavorless. Uh, so. I it hate to say anybody. it. Yeah. I hate to put it this way, but it's because it's whitewashed. Oh. Um, so no, that's exactly. So I, you heard me mention the portobello mushroom and the white butt mushroom. Uh -huh. They're actually the exact same species of mushroom. The exact same species. The white butt mushroom is just a genetic anomaly, essentially like an albinism of the mushroom, mm. and it just looks more palatable because it's small and white and we harvest it before those gills appear. So it, it looks like a fruit. It looks like something edible and it's appeasing. Whereas all these different colors and gills and shapes and slime. It looks safe. Uh, it, yeah. It, it looks safe. And I, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong. Cause we, we don't, we don't fuck with buttons. Uh, nobody does except for Pennsylvania. So, but I would imagine they turn around real fucking quick. Oh yeah. They, so there's, it's, it's capitalism. That's uh, all uh, it is. And, the, and speaking of that, like it is all the white butt mushrooms, all of them are one isolate. They're not grown from spore like all of our other mushrooms where we can isolate more strains. They're all the exact same patented Really? Culture. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so weird. Yeah, putting about. patents on life it's is. Uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. In America, somebody got a monopoly <laughs> and ran with it. What? <laughs> this is all. I'm uh, hearing so many new things uh, yeah. about my country. Mushroom monopoly. I, uh, that, that's interesting. So, uh, so um, here's here's the other thing that I, I could deep dive into without even liking the flavor of mushrooms, which I do, is sort of the taxonomy i guess is it the the what is it mm. chapter like mm -hmm. is it a plant is it's mm -hmm. what is it closely <laughs> right. related to how does it eat how does it reproduce like that deep dive or if i may in blows layman's terms my mind what if i may in layman's terms what the fuck is that? Yes. Yes. Well, yes. The amazing variety and beauty. I mean, be, I'm an artist. So being an artist, um, I remember when I first bought this property here, I would come home during the summers and I would live in my cabin and I would go out and I would just 
photograph mushrooms just because they were so beautiful and interesting. And I hadn't been, you know, I hadn't lived in the woods since I was a kid. So as an adult, seeing it from that kind of perspective and getting out into the woods and, and photographing, I went back because I used to run a school of painting in, in uh, Washington, D.C. And I showed one day, I showed my students kind of like a, a, just all the images on my computer of all the different varieties of mushrooms. I think I had probably 80 different types of mushrooms I had you know, photographed within a mile here of this property. Wow. And they were beautiful, red ones, orange ones, yellow ones, purple shades, blue shades, different button shapes, you know, tall kind of cone shapes. There were just mushrooms and, and of course that's, you know, the 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 ones with the stems coming out of the ground or logs and then you got all the different types of shelf mushrooms. And tell mm-hmm. me, I mean, you guys have well, I'm sure you've seen the the turkey tails when they're fresh the colors on those, I was blown away when I first, the For very me, first it's time. the feel. The, the velvety top on it, it oh, is yeah. so soft. I almost <laughs> just want to like rub it on my skin. Like sure it's, you do. Of course it's, you do. It's, it's you velvety it. and colorful, <laughs> almost rainbowy within it. If you, yeah, it's just amazing. Beautiful. Um, but the, the purples and the greens on some of these turkey tails is just like, Am I talking about the right species? So uh, actually, I think uh, what you're getting at with the color, well, not maybe not what you're getting at, but one of the most interesting things about the colors is one of the oldest forms of dyeing in terms of dyeing fabrics. Yeah. Not it's the poisonous actually, mushroom kind of dyeing from, we were talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah, no, no, not dying from mushrooms, dying with mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be confused. Like uh, cloth. You can clothing. make fabric dyes. Yes. Uh, you can make all sorts of different color dyes with mushrooms. It's one of the oldest forms of dye there are. Uh, it's really, it's really, it's interesting because if you grew up like me, like probably millions of people, and you've had mushrooms on your pizza, mushrooms in your spaghetti sauce, they're all that same grayish, pale brown. And generally thing. canned. And then you've maybe had psychedelic mushrooms. I had forgotten all about like kingdom, phylum, order, genus, species. I just haven't thought about that in a really long time. And I was trying to think like, oh, how does that work? They're doing so many things. We're eating them. And there was there was two great pictures. It was like picturing the mushroom. And you can tell me if I'm wrong about this, but she, she goes on about... The, it sort of links in the food chain in several sections. Like it does this over here, mushrooms. It breaks this down, but then it also feeds this tree. And then it also decays and spreads using yes. that yes. thing. I, I mean, it's, it's doing so much in the environment. And once you start thinking about it, if you're just going on along in life not thinking about mushrooms, you're not thinking about it, right? But as soon as you are... You you just have to face the fact that they are everywhere. They're everywhere. There's some in this room. <laughs> There's some right out here. There's some. They're everywhere, and they're in. And the spores are everywhere. And the spores oh are everywhere. God. Like you said, she does a very deep dive into this uh, chapter three. What what is a mushroom? Uh, chapters: mutualists, decomposers, and parasites. Give you a little bit of a hint. Those are three of the things they do. Kind of what Shelly hinted at here. Mm -hmm, Uh, mm -hmm. Decomposition being, you know, 
one of the more primary features, uh, breaking down uh, fecal matter of swine or cows or horses or even humans, uh, or as a mutual or you know break, breaking down trees, dead wood. You see it on fallen trees all the time. Uh, the mutualist aspect is uh, me and Rob were talking about this idea of a mycelial web. Uh, Paul Stamets again likes to call it the inter- uh, the mycelial internet, uh, the world yeah. wide web, the yeah. actual the world actual, wide actual world wide in web. the world. And so the <laughs> yeah. way it's mushrooms tend to act as mutualists, and I, I should. I should differentiate between mushroom and mycelia, mycelia. Yeah, just the fact that mushrooms, is it a plant? Is it like that chapter blew my mind because I was like, wait, I have no idea how this works. Like, I think I'm a human, which is in the animal kingdom. I think vegetables, I'm like picturing like beans, right? Are those? Yeah. Those are, those are, those are and then mushrooms, it's just so interesting to think. So the fruiting body of a fungus is a mushroom. Right, and then mycelia is the. Can you explain that? Well, <laughs> and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think mold is also fruit of fungus. Like the whole thing is like what, how will absolutely how will the what fruit comes from what strain? So mold of generally, all of it, it's crazy. when it when it's colonizing something is pretty unobservable. Like it's growing inside the substance. When it reaches the surface, when it starts to run out of its food stores because it's hit the edge, it triggers this fruiting. And this is the same thing that happens with mycelia. Mycelia mm-hmm. being what a spore from a mushroom when it hits a favorable uh, area to grow and is one of the lucky ones because mushrooms produce billions of spores uh, billions. in a life cycle. Billions. Billions. Um, it's, it's crazy. I was just telling uh, Shelly this earlier. Uh, when we have full walls, four full walls, and fruit is everywhere, you just you literally just have to shine your flashlight on your phone down the hallway, and you can see it, and you're not supposed to be able to see it. You know they're that small, but there's yeah. that many in of them. Any, it's literally raining spores. In, in that any room. one oh. cubic meter of air. Uh, again, a random Eugenia Bone fact out of this book. Uh, in any one cubic meter of air, so a three by three by three foot area, give or take, there is anywhere from 10 to 25, 30,000 uh, fungal spores of several species just floating around. Just it's part dating. of our life. It's, it's we, part of our life. We it's in, are made, yes, we're breathing. We are made of fungi up, too. Blew mm-hmm. my mind. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, in our bodies. And I, I, yeah. I, you know, I keep saying fungi, and I, I really want to have this discussion. Uh, <laughs> is it fungi? Is it fungi? Is it fungi? Is it fungi? Uh, there's a lot of debate on that, but all mycologists generally agree it is not fungi, despite being a fungi myself. Uh, it's fungi. Super fungi. Fungi. Super fungi. Um, what do they say? I, I prefer fungi. Um, fungi is, uh, uh, fungi, fungi are both popular, uh, or fungi. They're all cool words. I'm fine with whatever. Whatever you guys Generally, mycologists don't say fungi. So, uh, just, uh, 
Well, thanks for correcting me uh, now that I've said it wrong like 15 times. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, I, you went through the book. I thought you would have learned it. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no um, I damn. I can't remember. I can't remember. I guess she said She does fungi. say, uh, the, the narrator does refer to it as fungi. Oh wow! I, Although I not not fun, just that's fungus. That's so right. the whole thing is as you see. That's it, the whole thing. Yeah, is fungus very, is fungus. You don't. Is it a, gus fungus? is always fun. Is it a gif? Is it a gif? I will punch you if we have this argument again. No, that's all I'm no, saying. Like, let's no, not. No. Who cares? Choosy <laughs> content creators choose gif. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Damn, son. The puns are flying. Can we talk about nutrition and fungus? Because I, you know, I was thinking like when I was younger, I remember people and and talking to my doctor even about this one time and and him saying, well, there's just really no nutritional value to fungus. (laughs) Right. Are you kidding? (laughs) Yes. And And then... And then just about... He said this over four puffs of a Marlboro that's right. in his office. About 12 years ago, I was at my doctor's office in Washington, D.C. And on the wall in the doctor's office was a poster that said, eat more fungus or eat more mushrooms, whatever it was. Really? And then it had this whole thing about the nutrition of mushrooms on there and how important it is because they're pulling, you know nutrients out of the soil um that that we wouldn't normally be getting and then i so i think that this has been this tremendous uh change in terms of our understanding of the nutritional value of them yes but also there's been a a a lot more people getting involved and excited about mushrooms uh within i would say the last 20 30 years compared to let's say when i was a kid yes and she she talks a lot about that. She talks no, she, a lot about. There's um, a whole chapter. A Mushrooms whole chapter. as a superfood. Yeah, okay. and she 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 went through the same learning curve as you did, and and she talks about how different food pyramid and guidelines things were made. Still don't. Yeah. Still do not include mushrooms. Yes, they don't and include mushrooms. And if they mushrooms. do. They are fallen under the vegetable category, which we know falls in the kingdom plant, whereas we know the kingdom fungi is separate. Um, and more specifically, not only is it separate, fungi kingdom is closer to us, yeah. animal, than she it could, is yeah. plants on the tree of life. Yeah, and you know what else I learned a fun word is cladogram. Cladogram Watch is your like mouth. A, clad, <laughs> cladogram <laughs> is, is like branches of how species are related to each other. Okay. Uh, yes. Interesting. Isn't that wonderful? It's a good <laughs> word. It's I really wonderful. like it. wonderful. Cladogram. I looked it up. It's, um, if you spell it wrong, it shows you what like this Irish ring looks like. You know <laughs> that, that right? ring? Cladogram. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Cladogram. Anyway, also somebody called fungi the fifth kingdom. And I had this whole idea of making a cartoon series called The Fifth Kingdom. And it's all little mushroom hunting people and the people that live within the mushrooms. What do you guys think? Wait, so <laughs> wait, that are a they great little idea? mushroom people hunting? Well, it's their you know, land. Like the whole kingdom is like little mushroom people. We actually around. need to talk because I've been working on this show for years. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, but it's needed a good name. It's, you found it's your called The Fifth Kingdom. When she said, well, that's when they called fungi the Fifth Kingdom. 
And I thought, oh, that's fantastic. It is a kingdom. It's like a worldwide kingdom. And I just want some voice work out of this. That's yes, all I know. Yes, you're done. You're uh. in. You're in. <laughs> all I can think about is that uh, movie. Uh, oh, God. Now I can't think of his name. It's Smurfs? About, uh, <laughs> no, Smurfs? It's, it's the, the fifth Smurfs? estate. And it's about uh, not Snowden. Uh, uh, gosh, Assange. Assange. Yeah, it's yeah. about a... Julian Assange. Yeah, it's about Julian Assange. And you say the Fifth Kingdom. I keep hearing the Fifth Estate and thinking about that movie. Totally unrelated. Totally unrelated. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Although I bet you Julian Assange has taken a shitload of magic mushrooms in his life. That's probably true. That probably ties in somehow. Let's find out. (laughs) <laughs> let's, let's, let's find let's out. I'll tell you. I'll call him up. Hang on a second. Let's get him, him on the phone. Call Julian. him up. Um, there's a wonderful uh, talking about the intelligence of, and one of the things that deep diving into mushroom learning has done for me, and farming, working on the cannabis farm this summer, did this too, is reconnect me with just. Nature is fucking mind-blowing. Yeah. You know what I mean? A it's plant looking different from day to day. A, you know, what happens, you know, right after a rain or when dust, like the way a puffball travels, the way like, like all of it. And once you really start to, the way spores are released, the way, <laughs> all of sec- that. sexy mechanism It's for amazing. Some of them. Yeah. And so one of them is a slime yeah. mold example. And they put the slime mold in the maze. Oh, this and blew the slime my mind. Mold, the slime mold just grew. Instead of just overwhelming Instead everything of overwhelming, to find its food source. It, it ran the maze. And navigated it. Yeah. It this grew has been repeated several through times. the maze. They're problem solving. Yeah, they put. So it's like yes. all of a sudden this shit is Jurassic Park. Oh, she's they a pinka. They put the mold at one end. Put the mold at one end, the food at the other end. <laughs> yes. And thought the mycelium would just. Take over everything till it found food. It navigates the it maze. Navigates till the it maze. Finds the food. Yeah. That is brilliant. <laughs> that is amazing. So mushroom right? intelligence is mushroom that shit intelligence. Is real, bro. I mean, that's real. That's really fantastic. Um, here's the other one: fungi can live indefinitely. Indefinitely. Like, like, like on and on, just like generating itself. Yes. Over and over so again. this is yes. this is that difference between mycelia and mushroom. Oh yeah. Um. I as much as we don't think of, or as much as uh, mushrooms aren't plants, which we've already covered. Mm-hmm. One of the analogies I like to make is think of an apple tree. Mm-hmm. An apple tree grows up. It keeps growing. It keeps growing. And when it's ready to reproduce. It drops an apple. Mm -hmm. Flip that image upside down and put it underground. A spore, like an apple seed, starts to multiply and grow and grow and grow. There's a couple extra stages where one mycelial strand meets in there to make a... We're not going to get into the scientific here. Yeah, we don't have time for that. um, (laughs) But it it grows outward. (laughs) It grows outward like an underground tree. And when it reaches the end of the food source and it's time to reproduce or it dies, it produces a fruit. But since we flipped everything upside down, the mushroom falls up to the, towards 
The air. What? Um, so it's yeah. an up, I think of it as an upside down apple and tree. I don't, I don't even remember what species, but in the book, uh, the narrator was talking about uh, the, the author explaining like how many of these get the stipes get exoskeletons and all, all, are many of them are made up of the same things like crab shells are made. Oh, uh, chitin. Chitin. Chit- yes, there you go. Thank you very oh. much. And then that's what actually allows them to push through and out of or anything that's in their way, including. Asphalt, if necessary. So chitin is actually so strong and like dense and protective for the spore itself that a mushroom spore surrounded in chitin can survive in space, the vacuum of space. (laughs) Dude. Uh, And so there's a lot of theories that perhaps... A fungal spore on an asteroid one time a long time ago crashed into this rock somewhere, third rock from the sun, and uh, sparked life on Earth, and we were seeded by alien fungi. Um, uh, You know, we talk about all sorts of far out ideas. It's just as possible as anything. Considering how many spores are in in the atmosphere. Yeah. I like it. It sounds sounds plausible. I like it a ton. It sounds plausible. I mean, I love it. It makes me feel good about about everything. We're talking about spores. Things make a lot of sense. I think I've shared this before with you, but like uh, when we empty out the grow room, we put all these empty bags, these spent bags, into a trailer. Uh, and before we developed a nice relationship with a lot of uh, cannabis farmers and vegetable farmers in the area about, uh, they've discovered that our our garbage mushroom is their compost, treasure, their compost is amazing is for plant crazy. farmers. Like we're doing the Michigan cannabis community some freaking favors, but they're cha- they're giving us some favors in return. So, uh, but the whole thing is, yeah, it's really nice. So uh, the thing about that is that we used to put them in his trailer and run them to the dump. Or to another farm, just to a compost company, because we we got to get rid of this. We don't know where to put it. So, but in the travails, we'd be bouncing all over these country roads in this old clankety trailer behind his, you know, clankety van, and uh, down the clankety and the boof, 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 all the bumps and the, all these bags, and we we're just shooting spores. Oh yeah, out of those bags, yeah, all the way down the road, everywhere we go, and. So you're, you're Johnny <laughs> Appleseed. Yeah. You're tens Johnny of Apple- millions, if not billions, of spores out into the air. Just yeah. driving down the road. Yeah, wow. yeah. It just yeah. when that finally hit me one day, I was like, "How many mushrooms, Brian? Do you think we're responsible for growing in the wild?" Yeah, as a company. So interesting That's fact: cool. mm-hmm. uh, the golden oyster is actually an invasive species, which has taken quite favorably to the state of Michigan and each year is producing larger and larger flushes. While it is in fact an invasive species, it is so delicious I do not know a single mycophile that gives a shit. They're not mad. <laughs> what is it what mad. is it called? The golden oyster. Golden, golden oyster. Oh, you bright, guys grow those are the that, bright right? yellow and ones. And that, so. was, yeah. that was largely because of Michigan mushroom farms that were growing it. Yeah. Because even if you grow it in my closet those spores are escaping my closet and they're sticking to pieces of clothes I have, my, you know, a bed, whatever I got in there. And then I touch the bed. They stick to me. I go outside. I go mushroom hunting. They fall on a log. They, a lot of mushroom spores, that's how they travel. They cling themselves to animals one way or another. Mm. I, being an animal, am no different. And none of us are. And so we, Michigan is actually one of the more popular mushrooms to farm is oysters or my talkie. And 
the golden oyster, which is favorable for its flavor mm. and its bright, beautiful color. Oh, they're gorgeous at a, uh, on a plate, so let's face it. <laughs> oh, my God. Isn't it true that the spores can last for many, many years without having to be germinated? Yeah, it can just wait. They I can just wait there. I have germinated 25-year-old spores with success. Okay. Spores that at the time were older than me. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I seem to have read somewhere at some point, and, and maybe, and I could be wrong, but I thought some mushroom spores can last hundreds of years without germinating. Yeah, she talks about that in the book. How kind of resourceful a spore is, mm-hmm. like it will just wait mm-hmm. in stasis until a food source arrives, basically the right and conditions, then the, and the right, right conditions. Yeah. And that might be another it's bad topic ass. of conversation: conditions. For a forager, because man, like we were just talking earlier today, the conditions for finding chanterelles and morels in Michigan for the last two summers have been horrible. What is the good conditions to find chanterelles? Uh, chanterelles, moisture, lots of moisture okay. in the ground and warmth. They, we had a dry summer, mid to late summer moisture. I, I tend, which, yeah, I tend to find them starting. I, I start looking for them around July first. And the main season ends about the second week of August. So it's a quite it's a six week season, but I have found them in the fall too. You know, once in a, once in a while. So, I again like the morels. We've got a couple species. We have mm. the traditional yellow chanterelle, right? And then we have the what they call cinnabar chanterelle and right. oranger chanterelle, yep. and then. Technically speaking, I believe a black trumpet also falls into that genus. Yep. Yep. Horn of plenty, which, they call it. Yeah, uh, yep. which... Horn of plenty. Yeah. Horn of plenty. I'll <laughs> take that. Side of onion rings. Yeah. Um, I, I can't hear that without laughing. <laughs> <laughs> but they are also slightly different times of yes. the year. They're all together, they but they are. you'll see those yellows, that first, second, third, yep. fourth week of July or into august but first second third fourth week of august into september you start seeing those cinnabar chanterelles late august and through september you start finding those black trumpets so you know we we do the same thing with with the morels you know we can say that it's a three-week season if we're hunting Blacks, or right. if we're hunting whites, which we won't get Species into color misnomers. Time specific. Um, yep. But realistically, if you're hunting all species of morels, it's a good six to six weeks to two month season. And uh, but each one has a different habitat. Mm-hmm. It, you've got to know each of those habitats. You have to chase those different habitats. You might be in these woods one week chasing this one while the other one's already starting over here and you missed the prime. So you have to be picky. And most people have a favorite color morale or a favorite, you know, easier type. Yeah, that they're they'll good wait for their specific Same season. with chanterelles. You, yeah. Yep. Everybody's got a favorite one or one that they know how to find instead of right across the board. And right. there's, even, there's even a one called a woolly chanterelle. Have you seen those? They're a little more condensed and tighter and they don't open up as much like you know the 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 main yellow chanterelle the main one that we find here is you know opens up and it's kind of like a what kind of shape would you call that uh like a vaginal 
Vaginal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, we can run Georgia with that. O'Keefe I mean, painting? well, yeah. so most mushrooms, uh, traditional shaped mushrooms, we refer to as phallic because yeah, right. they resemble yeah, right, a phallus. Right. Right. It's this is the exact opposite. This looks like a perfect thing to stick a phallus into. Yeah. It's vulvic. <laughs> All right. Wow. If you go that way. I mean, we're not recommending or uh, condoning her. cladogram, chitin. I'm just learning. Using a lot of good words today. Some good words. Scrabble City up in here. I found the the woolly (laughs) chanterelles here. Look at this. Woolly chanterelles. Two words. Woolly chanterelle is my my stripper name. And Wooly Chantrell is my stripper like name. Right. In my, but in my mushroom book that I have, you know, because at the time that's all I had. I didn't yeah. have, you know, a lot of friends around here that were also, you know, hunting for mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, all It would list all the chanterelle types, like the cinnabar and the regular chanterelle. And it would say edible, edible, edible all the way down through. And then it got to the woolly. And at the end of the statement, it mm-hmm. didn't say whether it was edible or not. Oh. And then, so I tried it one year. And, and oh, that's bold. Yeah, that it was bold. bold. It was bold. Brazen, and, sir. And I Brazen. Oh. I didn't get sick, but I definitely got the shits. Okay. Let's just okay. be clear about that. And, 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 uh, and I didn't catch it the first time. I thought maybe sick. it was just a, you know, but then I ate them again. And, and yeah, it, it's definitely, so don't eat the woolies. <laughs> don't eat the Something I'd say about that because we had uh, we talked earlier about a lot of people's fears with mushrooms. Yes, uh-huh. um, is you know we fear. Uh, oh, I heard this one person misidentified this and died or whatever. Sure. Realistically, most mushroom poisonings that's how they end. You will sit on a toilet yeah. feeling sick. <laughs> right. Um, oh, I got a case of the woolly chanterelles. Oh, boy. Now, it, it is important to note on the off mushroom poisoning, yeah. many types of mushroom poisonings, you should not make yourself puke or even allow yourself to puke, but rather seek medical attention. If you do hunt a wild mushroom, always keep a spare specimen in case you did run into an issue because then the doctor can say, oh, or send it to me. And I'll say, hey, doc, that is this. And right. And oh, my God. This is yes. fine advice. Mm-hmm. If you pick one that you're not sure about, make sure you got an extra one. Yeah. Around, yeah. So. I mean, if yeah, I pick okay. a morel, I'm eating them all. But if I pick a mushroom for the first time and I'm going to go try it, and mycologists are adventurous, um, <laughs> then... Uh, I always keep an extra sample handy. Mm. But the funny thing is, I used to be the guy poison control would call. So oh, they, really? they can't call me if I'm what? dying. Um, so. yeah. <laughs> okay, I want to talk about this before, before I forget, and it's in one of the early chapters. So one of the most fascinating things, and I think I originally heard about this in the Fantastic Fungi movie that I've seen a couple times over the last couple of years through the... Michigan Psychedelic Society, and it's the fact that the largest organism that there is was identified in 1998. It's the Omalaria gallica. Is that what it's called? Omalaria gallica? It's basically in 200,000 acres in eastern Oregon. One. Amalaria gallica, but. Amalaria uh, gallica. Uh, it's in the Malur National Forest in the Blue Mountains of Oregon. 2,200 acres, that's 1,666 football fields, mm-hmm. but a little bit more interesting to the folks in this room, mm-hmm. 
the second largest Amalaria species or uh, patch in the world, since we already know it's the largest thing making a humpback whale look like a midget, yeah. uh, is in the UP. What? So the second wow. largest living organism is right here at home. And well, was, did they so, date it back? Was it thousands of years? Was it the, well, are we talking about the same thing? What I don't understand is how 2,400 years old. How, does, 2400 years old. Uh, how did they decide, like, who is measuring that an organism is all over an entire forest? Like, who is... How do they figure out where it starts? Shelly wants to see botanist credentials. So have, <laughs> I, I'm assuming Just as a non... Shelly wants receipts. I'm assuming as a non-mushroom <laughs> hunter, you've never seen a honey mushroom. A honey mushroom. I don't no, think so. No, in fact, okay. I just that is correct, sir. This book. So that is correct, sir. Amalaria species, uh, specifically Amalaria malia, but also the Galica and some of the other ones are uh, very prolific when they do grow, and because the patch of mycelia is so vast and stretching underground, uh, that prolificness doesn't stop and. When I visited Rob uh, with you earlier last year uh, and we ran out into the woods, we got to talking about honeys and he said he'd never actually seen one. And I'm like, well, we're prime season. We're bound to run into a patch. And sure, shit, as soon as we found one, the next tree had 10, the next tree had 10, the next tree had 10, the next really? tree had 10. When we, we were here just in missed August? peak. Yep. We just missed what? peak. But Bro. they're growing everywhere and so what happens is when you start to realize that this mushroom is growing everywhere well you're going to get a biologist in the field start taking field samples sure you are and they're going <laughs> to especially if it's that prolific but what's yeah. going to happen then is somebody's going to seek dna and oh. that's how they identified that this is the same uh, patch of mycelium is the mushrooms that were growing from it were genetically identical, which means it could not be wow. offspring of a spore. Right. It must go. be the same thing. Dead ringer. Oh my Dead gosh. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. They ah, are, it blows my mind. They are okay. pretty fascinating things, these mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah, so so I have to talk about a couple of the like dark things that she brings up that you're sort of like, ooh, like they're not all. It's like all of these are beautiful and full of protein and da da da. This one will kill you, <laughs> you know. But then, uh, so there's one. It this was a chapter I think that had to do with how all the different ways that like spores are carried around, and one of them was a spore grows up into an ant's brain, takes it over, yes. shoots something out, and if the ants below shake the stick that that well, other ant is on, it like rains spores down the, on the them. The best bit of this is it's when it terrifying. takes it over, it, like, the, it, it, instinct, it makes the brain say, up, we're going to climb this tree now. Yeah. For the express purpose of when it does blow up, it gets the widest scatter point. It's bound to hit as many other ants as it can That's hit. That's fucked and up. And they are zombies <laughs> climbing a tree. It's so a zombie race. Versus a, versus a plant. The reason mushrooms have a stipe, or what a plant would call a stem, yeah. isn't to support the cap necessarily. It's to raise it off the floor 
to get better spore dispersal in the same manner that yeah, yeah, yeah. a cordyceps species uh, tells an ant or a caterpillar or a scarab or any number of bugs. Right. Uh, so specifically, she mentions, I believe that's probably cordyceps sinensis if i'm not mistaken that's the ant i'm gonna bet None you're correct you yeah mistaken, that's so. exactly right <laughs> i would know if you were wrong for sure i i, I go with sinensis because it's the only one i've grown um but uh each one tends to favor a specific insect so there are some that really like grasshoppers there's cordyceps that really like caterpillars that's one side of a ladybug head um, yeah. Or a beetle head, right? One side of a some sort of beetle head. I, I really like the uh she's talking about uh cordyceps uh growing from a scarab uh in her book. So yes. Tom Volk is an amazing mycologist uh from Minnesota that really led the field for a long time. Really quirky guy, but once you meet him, you love him. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. But he had some heart conditions and other health issues and started taking a cordyceps that grew exclusively on the scarab beetle. And he pointed out to her when he told her about this that uh, scarab is a symbol of rebirth. So he had a heart transplant giving him new life. And the only thing that made that live is this cordyceps growing from a bug that's the ancient Egyptian symbol for rebirth. And so uh, the fact that that spore killed that scarab is the thing that's giving him new life. And so he made that mm. analogy, which I really appreciate. That's pretty exciting. Oh which is what gosh. all parasitic, or not parasitic, all decomposition mushrooms and parasitic mushrooms are doing. They're just revolving the cycle of life so it can yes, continue. Yes, that is what is amazing, is the, in, mag, in Fantastic Fungi, the what that movie does beautifully is show it just it shows sort of mushrooms breaking things down then growing back up and then being redistributed and then breaking everything down and it's so a part of every single other cycle of life that's going on it's one of those things that makes you remember that we're all connected and everything right. <laughs> you know but yeah, really I really really you know we really really are um, okay, wait, one more of these, like, uh, kind of dark things. Um, white nose syndrome in bats mm, is... That is a sad thing. That is a dark thing. Yeah. That's a fungus that grows on their nose and it causes them to wake up before their hibernation should be over and then they freeze. Isn't that it's how it works? They starve to death, yeah. Yeah. I don't know exactly. So this book was written in 2011. Mm-hmm. But at the time, white nose syndrome in bats was predicted to end that species of bat specifically across the world, extinct. Yeah. In 2025. That's four years from now. Oh, my gosh. Um, and that, it, like you said, it forces them to come out of hibernation too early to find food or survive, and they starve and freeze to death. Wow. It's, wow. It's and it also sad. kind of reminds me of just a cokehead 
Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> these cokehead bats. Like white nose syndrome. It's like oh, so they just don't understand what's going on, uh, so they go I'm outside hibernating and with that. I definitely know a few cats who couldn't hibernate because of white nose syndrome. Yeah, you know what I'm they couldn't about. hibernate, <laughs> so they just wander outdoors and freeze to death. I'm like, this sounds familiar to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's my buddy Duane. No, he's all right. No, that's I know just, him. That's I know that bat. I know. He's well, just, there, yeah. there was another kind of a dark um, thing going on, and I it was some kind of soil. They called it like soiled disease or soil or something to soil but it was out in the american southwest and it was specifically getting into the lungs it's a it's a uh fungus that huh. gets into the lungs of farm workers people who are working the soil and it mm. was causing all kinds you know what i'm talking about i've heard of and this it was causing I feel like... all kinds of health problems with with these people because the mushroom then was living inside of the human body, <laughs> literally. But but also, oh, I mean, think about it. Shit. I mean, we already, you know, toe fungus, toenail fungus. Yeah. That's we're a type already, of fungus. Yep. Yeah. We're already inhabited by these funguses. So sure. funguses are hugely adaptable to yeah. just tremendous amounts of environments. Yeah, we're just another habitat. We're not. We're we humans are another habitat. I mean, well, yeah. I mean, even less dangerous than uh, specifically what you're talking about. But uh, think about: Have you ever had an athlete's foot? Have you ever had jock itch? Have Boy, you ever have had I. Candida. <laughs> um, have I you, have it right now. No, okay. uh, but, uh, I've been wanting to itch all night. Uh, <laughs> fungal infections can go both ways. Some fungal infections are actually infectious to us in terms of like they're not there to have a mutualistic relationship. They're there feeding on yeasts or different pieces of our body in one way or another for whatever reason. Candida is what like, really we comes to mind there. We are just another habitat. But oh, yeah. also, about right now. <laughs> we couldn't survive without some fungi that are part of the habitat that is us. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Going back to Tom Volk, again, one of the things she says he points out in this book is he said... I am a biome of a multitude of bacteria yeah. and fungi yeah. plus one single me. So he is thousands of things plus who he is. Right. And that's what Man. makes him. That's deep as yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah. That's accurate. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. And, and we were really talking earlier, uh, you know, if, if your gut biome is off, that can literally change your capacity for your brain to work properly. Oh yeah, think, you're a mess. It's good, like we're the ant versus negative thoughts. Or we're whatever. the ant crawling yeah, up the stick. Ways. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, ways. you know, and like if you ever see me, by the way, climbing way too far up a tree, <laughs> a, uh, a spore has me, and I'm about to explode. Run the fuck away. <laughs> He's about okay. ready to explode. He's, <laughs> if I'm climbing a tree, it's Wait because a I'm a monkey. Yeah, it's like yeah, it's yeah. like it's not. Yeah, it's definitely Wait not a minute. Me hey, did you see DNA? Wait, <laughs> is that what happened with Paul Stamets? I, 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 so Paul Stamets talks about his first time eating the mushroom with his brother, oh, and yes. he had a stutter growing up. Oh, that's right. And he was, uh, you know, he was really embarrassed by it. But uh, he took the psychedelic experience and. 
There was a storm outside. It was absolutely beautiful. Yes. So he decides to climb the tallest tree he can find so he can see it better. Yes. Sounds brilliant, doesn't it? Oh, shit. And he gets stuck and in the tree during the storm. And he gets up there all the way up, all the way to the tip of this tree, and he's, like, watching the storm, and it finally occurs to him, this is a horrible fucking idea. What am I doing <laughs> up here? I'll use your grandma's hat. bit dangerous. And he climbed down. But... That experience, something about climbing that tree, his stutter went away. Um, something about the psychedelic experience. Right. Um, I'm I not remember. sure where it was the tree or whatever, but it's interesting because right. we're talking about mu- mushrooms going in us and then climbing a tree to get to the top. Yes. I'm yes, kind of wondering. Yes. Oh, Paul Stamets climbed that tree and then it inspired mycologists across the world. Ooh. He sporulated. Ooh. ooh. Yeah, I'm gonna the shit out of that, man. Yeah. Where's, where's, yeah. Give me some mangoes. <laughs> he has Damn, been sorry. colonized. You are. Dude. There they are. <laughs> there they are. <laughs> I like it. I like oh, where we're going with this. Oh, my gosh. Well, let's just continue oh, on that trend. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, yes. I'm, a new, I'm a new convert to... Um, psycho... What do we call them? Uh, Psychedelics? Psychedelic mushrooms. And... The you know we we were taught to be terrified of those things growing up here in the Midwest. <laughs> anything to do with weed, if you if you smoked weed, you were a pothead. Uh, in, anything to do with psychedelics, you know that was just something that was going to destroy your lives and you know you fry your brain and all that. Well, come to find out, none of that's true. Right. In fact, and it's awful good for your brain. I wish I could go back and, and see my like fifteen year old self and be like, no no no, those people are cool. No no no. Absolutely. The other people are lying. Just like, just right. the get it. The other people are lying. Other people are lying. Just to tell, tell and, and myself. Then, and then ask yourself why. Mm. Ask yourself why. Because, you know, we as human species have become so separate from the earth, right? That's That's been our striving goal for the last 150 years is to separate ourselves from nature, from right. the earth. Put like a plastic layer between ourselves and the dirt yes. kind of thing. Yes. And, and there's been a whole series of lies that have been a part of that yeah. flies and fear and you know, all that stuff. Yeah. But now we're at this place where <laughs> there's a lot of us that are looking back at this and going, Hmm, you know, my yeah. first several, uh, psychedelic mushrooms experiences have been very, very beautiful and revealing oh, and yeah. have connected me to myself and to the earth. And, and, and it made me realize it's like, this is, this is something that should not be feared. It does not hurt your mind or your brain in any way, but it, it connects you to yourself. It connects you to the earth and it reveals truths to you. And those truths are very, very important for, oh, yes. for our well-being, for our mental health, but oh. also for our understanding of our personal connection to the earth oh yes and and it makes me really wonder if this you know the deliberation the the deliberateness of calling a mushroom a psychedelic type mushroom as something illegal or wrong or bad and it's been a part of this process of separating us us from our truths and our connection to the earth our connection to each other 
And I'm seeing a movement starting to happen where people are beginning to wake up and say, no, 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 no. And I'm a part of that movement. I mean, I'm, oh, yeah. like I said, I'm a, a recent, recent convert yeah. to, to realizing this stuff. And I, I find that fascinating. Yeah. So along those lines, you might like, uh, and I'll do my little reads and weeds plug here, but this year specifically, uh, we've done plant spirit. Mm. No. <laughs> Last year, so we did Plant Spirit Medicine. That's a great book. We did Fellowship of the River, which mm. is about ayahuasca. Okay. We did Smoke Signals, which is kind of the history of cannabis. And and the more I read about, like, so if you're listening and you're like, she's got to read this book next because it's about magic plants or something. But the more I read about and experiment with plants and mushrooms and cannabis and the earth is it's such a different kind of wisdom that is so much more intuitive like this thing is teaching me about itself mm-hmm. like working at the cannabis farm this summer hearing people talk about you know like growing mushrooms is the plant is teaching us how to be how to take care of it that's a really fascinating thing about the mushrooms and how long they live and how they transport themselves is that humans have to fret and worry about their survival, right? We go, we have to like do something and earn something and <laughs> justify our existence. Mushrooms and, and fungi grow anywhere, live in their food source, reproduce sort of they don't have stomachs like they have to live in their food source they live in their food source they, but they're all over is everything the is their food source essentially <laughs> and they're everything growing their into their food it's it's really quite interesting it's how amazing. they develop amazing they are everything is because mushrooms are everywhere it means that they're these beings that just kind of everything is their food source they can survive just by being it's so, such a cool thing, and they're wise to survive. It's it's fascinating. It is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So this idea of, especially with quote unquote psychedelic mushrooms, mm-hmm. uh, teaching us about themselves and you know connecting us and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so when psychedelics were really starting to hit the mainstream in the late 50s. Humphrey Osmond coined that word, psychedelic. Before that, it was known as a hallucinogen. You saw a hallucination, which oh, that's right. that's right. not real. Psychedelic, psyche, mind, delic, manifest, to manifest of the mind, made sense at the time because of set and setting and the impact of you know, what the mind does to the experience. However, more recently, I believe it was in the mid-80s, Carl Ruck uh, really pushed to get away from that. And uh, other major uh, players, uh, Albert Hoffman, who discovered and synthesized LSD and was the first person to synthesize psilocybin, uh, he... uh, (laughs) And then Gordon Wasson, the first person who, you know, the banker who went down to Mexico to take the first Westerner 
magic mushroom experience with Maria Sabrina. Uh, they all agreed with Carl Ruck's new term that he developed, which was entheogenic. Entheogenic. Which means the God within or the divine yes. within. Mm. Oh my gosh. And is, that yes. is really what this experience is. And for me, the magic mushrooms are magical because it's divinity. It connects you to the thing a, you know, all major religions uh, tend to describe their deity or God as everything, everywhere, all things, all times, all spaces, something that can't be confined to a single entity. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas yeah. you take an entheogenic mushroom, mm-hmm. you will experience you that oneness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And exactly that, that is... What helped me when I looked at the rest of the mushrooms I was hunting out in the woods, start to see how it is all one. And Mm -hmm. the earth as a whole and all the species on it are no different than the biome that is my gut. Mm -hmm. And how delicate that balance is and how necessary not only fungi are to the life of other things, but the life of other things are to the fungi. So, oh, um, preach. you know, preach. I, d- I just wanted to uh, I wanted to step away from psychedelic because we are moving forward mm-hmm. legally mm-hmm. in this movement. We've got Oregon decrim uh, or just uh, did medical statewide medical mushrooms, decrimed all drugs. Uh, right, Santa right. Cruz in Oakland in 2019. Well, Santa or Oakland in 2019, Santa Cruz in 2020 uh, Ann Arbor. 2020, Woo-hoo! we did that. September yes. 21st. Um, DC just did it in Good November. Job. And now we're looking at Michigan. And one of the things I really want to, uh, you know, point out is the term psychedelic, as Rob said, mm. has so many negative connotations left to it. Really? Because we developed it in the 50s, right before the psychedelic 60s and 70s. And now we look back at the 60s and 70s and like, those kids were nuts. Well, especially, uh, yeah. it's, I know. find it interesting that uh, this change happened in the 80s because that was, of course, the moment in time where America chose to judge itself yeah. for the 60s and 70s. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And you couldn't, now psychedelia, now oh, and, it. And like, that's for I the, think it was maybe a choice as an author to step away from the word psychedelic so he wouldn't receive that backlash in and the 80s. Um, yeah, get it. Look, the culture was, the Reagan culture in America, of in the American 80s, was just south of McCarthyism with regard to judgmental practices of anything counterculture or wow. not mainstream America, period. And that was during the time that our government was pumping millions, of, hundreds of millions of dollars into the what we call the drug war. Right. And Which, we all know now that, that yeah. none of that ever worked. Yeah, None of, of it ever course. worked. Well, here's it, what it did. It hundreds yeah. of billions of dollars a year for nothing. No, it, look, it <laughs> doesn't even nothing. matter what side of that drug war that you fall on in terms right. of your belief system. 
We Nothing all know happened. at this point that that drug war never fucking worked. Right, no. right. And here's what I would like to point out. They did at least give us crack, the Reagan era. They did. Woo! For ten minutes. Way to go. <laughs> oh my god. Well, that's what prohibition does. Prohibition, we saw it with alcohol. All of a sudden beer disappears and spirits, high octane spirits, become the standard. And we see it uh, you know, with uh, with all substances. Heroin is illegal. So what do we do? We take something that is thousands of times more potent and smaller and can smuggle easier and cut it way back. And then people are dying of fentanyl overdoses. And this is the problem with drug war. It's almost like you're watching a Disney movie and there's this... There's these happy little creatures and they live off the plants and the plants are magical and teach them things and they grow things that, and then suddenly for some reason somebody comes in and takes those things away from them and makes it illegal. And they're like, oh no, that was good for us though. We need that. Yeah, well, we need we were that. Using that. We were using that. Yes, you were using it a little too excessively like, if you ask us. And they're like, no, no, no. Take no, that it, right away from you. No, it was all good. We were not hurting anyone. Yeah. Well, and I think I think I know what's best for you. So you'll just give me those. I know. So when I think about the fact that it's sneaky, like entheogens are sneaky, I'm like, wouldn't it be a great society if we were like, hey, I found this cool plant that grows in the earth that kind of helps you see God. Yeah. Do you guys want some? You know, it seems like it should be more that. Also, like, you'll be happier. Yeah, you'll probably uh, be happier. I, I, I like to say, because, again, yeah. uh, words with... Odd connotations. God. A lot of people right. are so atheistic that the word God turns them right off. I was raised in a Baptist pastor, with a Baptist pastor as a father, yeah. a Baptist pastor as a brother, and the word God for a long time was a big shut off. Yes, but yes, I'm sure. Now I embrace the word God because I see it everywhere. It's a different way. But... Yeah. What I say to people, like you said, this will make life better. You want to appreciate and respect life and yourself more? Do you want to appreciate the beauty in things that you usually overlook? Do you want to care less That's and what God do is. more? Eat this mushroom. <laughs> Have I got a thing for Listen. you? Listen. Yeah, you're exactly right. Well, and, 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 you know, the whole idea of it connecting to it, you know, you to your inner divinity, it, you know, that, that's just a word, divinity. It, it, you could mm. say your inner self, your connection to your source, this world around, your, your light. Your, yeah, your source, your yeah. light, whatever. Uh, yeah, because I, I come from, you know, same kind of thinking as you, you know, like where I'm just like, man, don't even use the word God around me because, oh. you know, for many years of my life after after being, you know, drenched with religious bullshit for a long time you know you come out of that and then you realize that you don't want anything to do with it yeah one certainly but, can but there is that circle you know you come full circle when you realize you come to other things in in life that that bring you back to that kind of world that kind of spirituality if you want to call it whatever you want to call it the, the words can't really do justice to the experience that one can have on you know a mushroom trip we'll call right, it right 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 yeah yeah so so i don't know 
It's the thing between, you know, what a word means and what a person hears when you say that word. Uh, Exactly. I might intend to help you when I do this thing, but it may actually really piss you off. My intention means nothing if it's not received that way. And so meanings are... We just had this talk the other night about like oh. the thing that was being said and how you were receiving it. From yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought this was, was a like, sign language. Thing. It I was, thought I was something about the show. Like, it was me. No, it was yeah. me saying we just had this conversation. Yeah, you're right. About we did. What actually. was being said, what you meant, and what they heard, mm. and all the different things that affect that in between. You know, like I meant this, and I said it as directly as I possibly could. It got over there and landed in your ears. And you are coming from a totally different set of experiences. Right, right, so right. maybe we're sort of thinking about the same thing, but maybe not. Maybe I just offended you. I don't even know. You know, I really jumping off topic here, but uh, <laughs> we were talking as a group earlier about toxicity. And, you know, one of the biggest things I see as a toxic behavior is somebody intended something. And you didn't hear what I intended, and therefore they get defensive. That is toxic behavior. Yeah, you right. Know, we need to learn how to communicate. And I oh, think yeah. if we look to the mushroom, <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, this is a piece we left a long time ago and never like quite finished. We too. never quite finished, Gosh, but we're talking about God. parasites, mutualists, yeah. and decomposers, right. and we only talk yes. about decomposers. And we talk about the mutualists. I think this idea of communication is something we can maybe learn a little from the mushroom. Oh yeah. The mushroom doesn't discriminate. It decides, it communicates with all the plants and trees in an area. And across that area, this tree is doing really well. And this tree uh, has all the moisture and all the nutrients it needs. And this other tree on the other side of the mycelial web of the same uh, mycelia is lacking one of those things. And it communicates across those trees using mycelium. Hey, I've got it. And acts as a medium to not only communicate that, but to deliver that. Transfer that nutrient. Help each other reach some sort of like better being for all. And I think, you know, if we stop uh, uh, assuming that our intentions are what there's a benefit for all nature finds a way. Yeah. That's the, that's the key right there. You and know, I nature feel like our way of doing things, we were talking about separating ourselves from the natural world, like our way of running the world, running our world. I think the reason why it's so ineffective is because we're so far away from that model of like taking care of the surroundings and you know like making sure everything's the world but the world has been running us this entire time oh my gosh and every bit we fight it is kind of like a disease i gotta i gotta be honest i kind of look forward to the moment when the world just shakes us off like the fleas we are (laughs) oh my gosh oh my gosh you know that's something to so i just pictured theoretically i can agree with you but i don't want to be there i don't want to be there when it happens i want to hear i want to hear about it just like yeah we kind of deserve it (laughs) well so (laughs) so, is this next week's book no 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 no, i want to talk about 
maybe two things to wrap up. So one is you've been to a lot of these conferences, and I wanted you to give me your like top. So a lot of this story is told around conferences that Eugenia Bone ends up going to, and there's a lot of different styles of these conferences. Some are very, um, you know, some are psychedelic heavy, like the Telluride Festival that you went to. Some of them are very scientific. Some of them are sort of competitive, like how many morels you get. And so she describes all these conferences and that sort of guides your way through the things you're learning and the people that she's meeting. She meets Tom Volk at one of those. She meets Paul Stamets at one of those. And so I would like to hear your top one or two uh, conference memories. You gave us a couple earlier at dinner, but we weren't recording. So... I, I mean, I, I, to me, when I think Mushroom Conference, I immediately jump to Telluride. Okay. The mushroom costumes are amazing. And I really like Eugenia Bone's story, actually. I, I find it hilarious. She knows everybody's going to dress up. And she decides, even though it's not her thing, to participate. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's an old photo. I don't remember the photographer, but it's really popular called the mushroom lady it was taken in like 1902 it's an mm -hmm. older woman in an all-black dress holding two types of mushrooms and so at telluride you walk around i mean people's cars um I'm, i think it was larry evans cars the one she specifically mentions it's a red car and he puts white magnets all over it so it looks like an amanita <laughs> um and she uh you know, other, other people are dressing, they're not just dressing up, their cars are dressing up, and there's this big parade, and everybody participates, and it's one of the most fun things of the weekend. Uh, I participated in 2016 as a corporatist species, an inky cap, so <laughs> I was a plain whitish mushroom with like black drips as my yeah. cap degraded into this inky substance. Um, and I was so, so, so proud of my costume. <laughs> and I got there and I realized I have no skill in design, art, or anything. And I looked like a fucking idiot. And these people are amazing in their costumes. And how do I get one? Um, I, I, oh, I think shoot. that's one of my favorite. But she had a similar experience her first She did. Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She dressed up as the mushroom lady. Thinking. Going Everybody, a, if anybody yeah. oh, she gets this, with the it. mushroom yeah. community is going to get this. And nobody. Nobody got nobody it. Got it. She, she was, was just a girl in like a Almost sort of nobody black dress. put yeah. together that I was an inky cap. Yeah. And I thought I did good. I had the white cap with like black streamers dripping off. No, people <laughs> do like proper drips. They're like are amazing and I looked like a fucking clown. <laughs> so if you're curious, if you're the kind of person that likes to geek out on things, there's conferences going on around the country with forays attached to them. They're not known for like fine dining or fine accommodations. They're more like church campy or camping or some of them uh, some of them are nice. Some of them are real nice. Okay. Um, okay. I, but None of the I, ones I she describes are... Uh, the foray ones tend to be out in the sticks. Yeah, yeah. So, and when you're there, you can learn about cooking or dyeing or spores or studies or identification and taxonomy and you can buy jewelry and you, it's, it's, you can obsess. You I can geek out. I socks. I bought 
at a mushroom festival. Yes, yes. And they're they're beautiful. Um, they are gorgeous socks, by the, the way. The okay, one other topic, and then we'll and then I think we'll wrap up. But one of the things that I hear a lot is people want truffles, and so she does this whole chapter on truffles and how it's virtually impossible to get good. So, so talk a little bit about truffles and sort of the easy fake that it is on the American public, if you can. So for first and foremost, most. If you want a real truffle, you're going to have better luck in France. Um, Or Italy. Italy, you might get some good white truffles. France is where you're going to find the truffle that everybody's after. Um, Occasionally, with good luck and an honest person, you might, might stumble upon it in New York or L.A. But the thing is, usually when we see truffle, we see truffle oil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is actually not extracted from a truffle at all. Mm. But it is a, you know, chemically synthesized flavor thing. down the thing that kind of tastes a little bit like gasoline, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, so most truffle oil doesn't actually contain truffles. There are some truffle oils that do contain truffle. And she talks about one specific guy in here that's trying to raise awareness about false advertising in truffle oils. But Mm -hmm, if you read a mm -hmm. truffle oil, it usually says essence of truffle Mm. or truffle flavor. Mm -hmm. Uh, Never says truffles. And if it does, (laughs) and if it does. So there are actually several species of truffles. Most of them, are the same black, knotty, almost veinyish, and want to call them uh, nodules of deliciousness. If it's the French desired one, all these other ones are tasteless, or in some cases undesirable. And wow. the Chinese specifically have taken advantage of the truffle market mm-hmm. and saturated a lot of what we see in American restaurants as truffles with these foul tasting or non-tasting uh, truffles from China and, you know, everything's of Asia. Uh, but part of that trick is it's because up until the late 90s we couldn't grow a truffle mushroom maybe a little earlier the first generation like nobody in the world so what nobody in america nobody nobody could grow a truffle then what was so so truffles have what we call a mycorrhizal relationship so myco meaning you know mushroom uh rhizal meaning with the roots uh it has a relationship with specific trees and so if that tree is not also growing as a symbiote with it, it will not. And right. in your general tub that you're growing mushrooms, you're not growing a tree. Um, right, right. Unless okay. you're uh, potentially Gary Mills with your indoor morels, which is a whole nother side subject. Oh, yeah. Um, no. Believe it when I taste it. But uh, brief mention in the book, but almost avoided because it's still a hot button issue that just is... 
gets my colleges in a tizzy. Um, <laughs> tizzy. I, I, I could go on for hours. In a tizzy. First, I've heard of that too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that's the, the last the, thing we want. The truffle market is extremely obscure. Um, it's very high end, and that's the drive to get into it. Yeah. But even if you are one of the successful truffle farmers in the more modern era, you have a very large twenty to fifty thousand dollar investment minimum to get started and then you got a ten year wait before you see a first harvest. Mm-hmm. If you get that first harvest. If you see it, right. Just just like planting a seed. You know, you got a germination rate, 80%, 90%, 10%. Oh, wow. Um, I, salvia yeah. divinorum seeds come to mind. I can get it to produce a seed all day. How viable is that seed? One in a thousand. Yeah, but yeah. I feel like we've been duped on the truffle situation. Yeah. Like, I feel Absolutely. like there's a lot of things marketed as truffle something. Because it's so much money. Everybody yeah. sees the truffle. And they're like, ooh, truffle fries, truffle this, truffle that. Yeah. And it's very rarely a truffle. And part of that is because of the value. Yep. On the low end, truffle sells $600 a pound. But if you um, believe it, we'll sell it to you. Well, yeah. it, is it is a truffle. It is a truffle. But there are several species. Yeah, just not, not the truffle. truffle. Unless it's truffle oil, in which case it's probably that synthetic, synthetic. blend. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's the oil, I think, because there's a lot of that out there. There's a lot and, of that oil out there. And many restaurants, having been on the in on the kitchen side of many restaurants, are anything they sell they sell you that's not doesn't specifically have a truffle on your plate is just oil based. Whether well, it's the fries with, or whatever yeah. else, whatever else they're trying to tell you is infused with mm. truffle. It's just the oil, and the oil isn't the oil. So even with uh, Eugenia talks about in her book, uh, there's. I don't remember who it was. I, I almost want to say it's Tom Volk again. I, I love the he's guy. Quoted hey, he's, he's quoted a lot. He's quoted a lot in the book, Very but I love the character. guy. He was one of the most quirkiest people ever. I just the short blue hair and just everything about him was amazing. Um, but I, I think it was him that went over and she was so excited because she found some truffles. Mm-hmm. Not found in the wild, but acquired oh, some yes. truffles. Oh yes, and prepared them. And he proceeds to tell her she wasted her money. Yeah, it was truffle oil. Wow. She had black truffle oil, I, and he was like, uh, "What? Yeah. You bought that? You know?" Yeah, <laughs> and it's uh, it's the you know this is where she starts to learn that. But even with whole truffle, you can get whole. I think it was with real truffles. I don't, I'm not sure it was oil because she I'm says sure she you're th- right. She she <laughs> says she throws them away, and, and she I, I specifically remember her saying she threw the rest away, the rest of them away. Oh, um, okay, okay. But after serving them and being so proud, they were tasteless, and there's nothing to them. And what had happened is she got duped with one of the other truffles. That's not the Sought after not the trouble. Good yeah. I mean, the, yeah. you could eat it. Yeah. Here's the, here's the trouble with truffles. But it doesn't. Yeah. Have you ever been around <laughs> a real yeah, truffle? I haven't. <laughs> I haven't. Truffles. Yeah. The smell. 
The smell of a real truffle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mike's having a He's thing. He's about to fall asleep in He's, dreams, sweet dreams of truffle smells. It's right amazing. There. Yes, I, I'm sorry I faded out. Uh, yeah, it's listen, okay. It it's okay. Well, gosh, here's uh, I don't know if you if I have one final thought on this book. Um, I listened to the audio version. It was so mind opening. It's there is technical, scientific kind of. It feels educational, but it's really fun and easy to read. It's not too much of that. And it it is such, I see, I feel like I see mushrooms everywhere now. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea how much trade was going on around the world and the, all the subcultures and the, you know, 20 million species or whatever, and only 5% of them are, I don't know how many species are. There's thousands and thousands of species and only five percent of them have been identified (laughs) it's astounding right so it's if you're if you're looking for something to become really really interested in you kind of can't go wrong with jumping into the mushroom world so um any final thoughts from anybody else i'll tell you what i'm really really interested in yeah at this point now all i want to see is an incredibly well rehearsed tightly choreographed band of middle-aged bears okay called the woolly chanterelles <laughs> that's all i want oh, <laughs> i would pay man. every night to go see them perform wow in some lodge the problem somewhere is, is they're gonna Northern have to Michigan. run off stage to use the bathroom every so often. <laughs> <laughs> well listen you know, short sets you know short what i mean yeah short yeah sets. short sets short sets short sets any final thoughts i've got lots of thoughts um <laughs> i think uh you know, we've talked about a lot of, I, I think we covered almost all of the chapters in the book in one way or another, because each one has a certain theme, talks yes, about conferences, yes. talks about forays, talks about fungi and their the different camps, roles as a superfood, as you know, but we skipped one chapter. Which chapter? And I think this is the most promising, yet the most need for research right now. And that is mycotechnology. Um, My good friends at Ecovative have been uh, creating packaging material, as she points out, for Dell and uh, uh, all sorts of major companies. Uh, I can't even think of them all. Uh, BP and Dow exploring mushrooms as sustainable biofuels or bioremediation technology. Bioremediation. Yes, or, oh my gosh. Uh, there are that whole so chapter. many Shoot. possibilities for mushrooms beyond just a food or just a symbiote or just a decomposer. But we can take radiated soil from nuclear fallout or from a nuclear waste plant and we can put it in an isolated area and we can grow mushrooms on it and within weeks the parts per million of radiation drops magnitudes and then you in, you inspect the mushroom and there's no radiation in the mushroom it successfully irradiates what? stuff Cecilium you can absorb uh, oil uh, the application of this is not quite practical on a large scale, but it needs to be researched so we can learn how to do it in different types of environments. 
and biomes from the ocean and yeah, salt water yeah. to fresh lake water spills to uh, stream beds and swamps and on the ground. Mm-hmm. But uh, then there's also the possibilities of, uh, you know, we. They go on and on. They go mm-hmm. on and on. We're oh, yeah. do everything. We're not oh, yeah. talking about yeah. using the mycelae for for in computers. Did you ever hear oh, about this? Where they? I'm excited now. Yeah, <laughs> using the mycelae. This is new new research that the mycelae of mushrooms of a certain whatever mushrooms they're using, and they're talking about introducing that into computers because the mycelae they found are one of the best transmitters of information. Oh like, my God. Through the it's a literal it's internet. It's been growing underneath our feet. Oh my this gosh. Is, this is real research. I want, I want, I That's crazy. I really want to see this now. Yeah. Oh it's my gosh. Oh, and by the way, this is wow. how they will take form and just destroy us. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No, I feel like they're friendly. They're no, friendly. Yeah, I, you know, maybe that's, that's, that could be it. That could be what keeps artificial intelligence from taking over and creating, and creating this post-apocalyptic yeah. world is the fact that mycelium is in there being like, yo, artificial intelligence. Be cool, man. Yeah. Be cool. I, I, I was almost of that same opinion, except I'm more of the opinion mushrooms are going to help us evolve to our integration with technology, which is seemingly inevitable. Oh, rabbit Christ. hole! See, that's what I was yep. afraid that's... of. The first thing I said. Yeah. Whoa! Wow. Okay. Okay. I feel like yes. I was yes. just to say in, in closing for, for yes. what I was thinking of is anybody listening to this, you know, I would just say just encourage them to get out in the woods, yeah. get a good book on mushrooms uh-huh. there's many good books out there now on mushrooms yeah, yeah. and just get a good book uh, one that can you know help you identify the mushrooms well mm-hmm. and just get out in the woods anytime during the spring summer or fall and mm-hmm. you will find mushrooms especially you know dense woods older growth woods you know mm-hmm. there's the mushrooms are there you just have to get out there Especially after a, a period of wetness, you mm-hmm. know, a good mm-hmm. couple of good rainstorms mm-hmm. and the mushrooms just start popping out and, and just introduce yourselves to them. You know, that's that's it. And, and just even if you don't want to eat any of them for the first bit of that time period, yeah. it, 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 just photograph them. They're beautiful. Oh, my gosh. Some of the best pictures. See, you see yeah. Just randos running around the woods. My favorite picture I've ever taken is a picture of a snail ascending or descending, sorry, descending from the cap of a mushroom to a log. So the shell and the back end is still up on the mushroom, but its head is stretching down. And it is the most beautiful nature shot I've ever taken. And it's experiencing being mm-hmm. in that moment, watching that, just seeing it. You know, it's just a snail moving across its habitat. Oh, no. Witness it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think show's over. I know, wow. I know. That's well, it. How do you top any of this? Do it. Well, you can't. I've, I was going to talk about the land, how in different countries you can forage different ways. But here's the deal. There's a lot in this book. <laughs> but if you want to take a deep dive or start your deep dive into becoming a mycophiliac, I guess is what you'd say. This is a great start, Mycophilia by Eugenia Bone. 
And uh, this was such a fun discussion. Great so talk. thanks, thanks so much, us. Paul. Thank you so much, Rob. Thank you so much, Mike. I'm Shelly. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening to Reads and Weeds. Wherever you stream, please subscribe, like, rate, and review. It's actually quite helpful. Please follow us on Instagram and Facebook. and Tell us where you are and what you're reading.